Broadcasting from high above the reserve, this is Radio Harambe. That's right, folks. Disney actually wrote a and directed and produced an ad to tell us all that the Animal Kingdom was not a zoo. Jumbo, everyone. I am Dave McBride, broadcasting from the Radio Harambe Studios. Joining me before another trip out into the wilds. Well, only the hours wilds. away from leaving on a plane to exotic locales. Once again, is Safari <laughs> Mike. Mike, how are you? Jumbo Dave, how are you? Mike, um, <coughs> we began this show with a very old promotional ad. Yes. I think it ran on regular television. I'm not sure if it was... Probably. I'm sure it did. Because I do remember it, but I, it could have been something they just played on resort TV, too. But I don't think so. No, I think it was regular. I think it was a regular ad, and their whole purpose behind the ad was to tell us that the animal kingdom was, in fact, not a zoo. They invented a word, not a zoo, and kind of tangled themselves into a hard-to-unravel web there for a little while when it comes with positioning for the park. Um, I believe the initial deciding factor was there are zoos pretty much in every major city, even most small cities in the world. This is true. In the country. That's more specific. So they wanted to separate themselves. They didn't want people to say, eh, why do we have to go to the Animal Kingdom? It's a zoo. We got the zoo here in New York or St. Louis or right. Minneapolis or whatever. Right. So I believe that was the idea behind it. But the Original I, intention. Right. I'm not sure how well it worked. Because it was, in fact, a zoo. And the ad was, in fact, ridiculous. And there's no two ways around mm. that. Um, get a chance. Go, you can Google it and you and just put in "not a zoo." N a h t a z u and you and Disney, and you will find the YouTube video of that. And you'll just see how ridiculous it was. Um, but why, Mike, is this beginning our show today? Well, uh, someone gave me an idea to talk about sort of how the Animal Kingdom started as a zoo and how they became involved in and obtaining animals and being involved in the SSP and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson today. Okay, good, good. And I won't interrupt. I'll, I mean, well, I'll, interrupt I'll, all the time if you y- want. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I, I won't uh, tell you what I know. Let's hear what you know. <laughs> well, I'm going to start off by talking about how there were three important people in the development of Disney's Animal Kingdom, like sort of at the top echelon. Okay. One, of course, is Joe Rohde. Right. But the other two very important people at the beginning stages of Disney's Animal Kingdom were Rick Barangi, 
and Paul Comstock, which I don't believe many people know who those people are. No, that's for sure. So well, let's talk a little bit about Rick first. He was the director of the Children's Zoo at San Diego. And um, he's now actually the director of the Houston Zoo. He's no longer at Disney's Animal Kingdom. But he was brought on to baby, basically make the Animal Kingdom the zoo that it is today. He was actually not the first choice. The first choice was actually Bill Conway, who was a longtime director of the Bronx Zoo. But when uh, Mr. Conway turned it down, they went to Rick, who was the director of the Children's Zoo at San Diego. And um, he sort of started as a consultant. Then he moved to the director of animal operations. And finally, he became the director of animal uh, park projects at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And that is essentially, he was the one who hired the staff and um, obtained all the animals or you know decided what animals were going to be in the park and all that kind of stuff. Now, he didn't do it alone. There was an advisory board, which actually first met all the way back in 1993, January of 1993. So it's almost when the park opened in April of 1998. So over five years, they started meeting with an advisory board. And the advisory board included many people, including Bill Conway, as well as Terry Maple, who was the director of Zoo Atlanta. Go ahead. Okay. So I, I, I don't know. Finish. Finish your thought. Who, who's in it? Oh, that, that, that's all I was going to say. I mean, I didn't have them all listed here. Okay. Anyway, but there was a, quite a few people. So I want to just th- interject a couple of things. Sure. Um, the San Diego Zoo um, is a, a fantastic facility. Um, it's a beautiful zoo. I don't know what it was like in 1993. It was still one of the major zoos in the country. Okay. Um, but my question to you is, when I think of the San Diego Zoo, I think of a zoo that's kind of... Glitzy. I it's, don't know what you mean by that. I mean it's as opposed to the Bronx Zoo or the Smithsonian, which kind of feel to me more to be hubs of conservation and research. All right, and um, that kind of thing is the San Diego Zoo in the 1990s at the forefront of that stuff. Sure, like the Bronx Zoo and the Smithsonian. Sure, it always was. been. It always has been. Okay. All right. So for my, many years, my, San Diego my view Bronx of it always was is that, the, is that the San Diego Zoo sort of sold itself, more as like a th- advertised itself more as like a park, a theme park, okay. than the Bronx Zoo or the Smithsonian, which always sort of seemed to me to be learning institutes or educational institutes or, or research facilities, that kind of thing. Am I, I guess I have that wrong. Well, I mean, yeah, you do kind of. I mean, the, the San Diego Zoo for many years has had the wild, the, the wild Africa or... Was it the San Diego Wild Animal Park or whatever mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. San Diego that was involved with having huge areas of land for animals to, you know, graze on and, you know, all that okay. kind of stuff. It's always been a, a leader in conservation projects, breeding endangered animals, um, and they like. Okay, great. All right. So I'm just, that's just a question that I had. Yeah, off, it's fine. My um, the other thing is, should we mention a little bit about... I mean that the, the they they put this board together, mm-hmm. this advisory group together because they were definitely moving themselves into a territory that Disney had no real experience in, or very okay. little. I mean, their their experience with animals was really you know farm animals, 
let's be honest, before this. They uh, had horses and things like that. Uh, yeah, there they was had, this, like, tortoises and birds and right. that kind of stuff on Discovery And then they had a lot of horses and things like that that they used for, okay, sure. for um, you know, over well, the years. had, you know, right. uh, stables right. and things like that. Even Disneyland had horses in it, right. for God's sake. You see some of these hilarious videos of people un without a seatbelt on, sitting on top of stagecoaches. I can't believe that. That would never happen now. But it happened then. Uh, and um, so they put this advisory board together, obviously, for help. There was also, and, and if you're going to touch on this, um, stop me. There was also um, another motive, which was uh, public relations. Oh, uh, we're going to get to that right okay. now. Okay. All right. So continue. So the, the, as I was saying, the board met in January 1993, but they continued to get updates and they even were still together even after the park opened so so the board again was this guy from san diego mm, and who else well rick well it was bill conway okay was the director of the bronx zoo it was terry maple director of the zoo atlanta there was a couple of conservation people right um and i don't have all the names in front of me okay but it was they were all zoo related all conservation zoo or related. conservation people okay. correct so the board met because Disney wanted to be accredited by the AZA, which is the uh, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and part of that had to be involved. They had to be involved in any SSP that the AZA was running. Um, Species Survival Plan, AZA, the accredited, the uh, right. The, we'll the talk a little bit more about SSP in a little bit. Right. But Disney was very concerned about critics. Disney was an easy target for Correct. critics of you know capturing animals and putting them on exhibit. Um, you know, if a zoo had some sort of issue with an animal, like let's say the, I don't know, St. Louis Zoo, it would not be national news. It would be maybe a local story in St. Louis and that'd be the end of it. But Disney had the concern that if something horrible went wrong or there was a lot of protesting or, you know, some animal died or it would right. be even national news, never mind it's local news. Exactly. Exactly. So the zoo went over, I mean, the, excuse me, the committee went over a lot of things, like in terms of, you know, placement of pens, placement of fences and moats, and something that's actually called ha-has in the zoo world, which is a uh, parallel ditches that sort of form an unseen barrier. They were very concerned about the nighttime houses. Um, they were high-tech and, frankly, the best in the business. Disney's off-exhibit housing is better than most, pretty much any zoo in the country. Disney went to AZA meetings, which is, again, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which is a group that sort of oversees all of the zoos, and you have to maintain a certain level of, um, you know, exhibits and conservation and you know, animal welfare to be accredited by the AZA. Um, most big zoos obviously are, but they went to those meetings as early as 1991. I mean, they had this idea because that's a long process. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So getting animals and doing all that is a long process. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But the um, this is not very. Conservation. Are, Mike, are uh, flies on the endangered species list? They are not. Okay, this one's not going to live very long. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about Barangi. His first job was to actually recruit staff. So he was in charge of recruiting staff, and he hired people from all over the country in zoos. For example, he hired a guy named Dr. Peregrine Falcon, which is an absolutely fabulous name for a It really, zoo, truly is. Zoo person <laughs> from Minnesota. He was the head vet for years, but he hired other keepers and stuff from all over the country. And as I was saying, Disney Animal Kingdom does have great exhibits. Don't get me wrong. I mean, their exhibits are of like Kilimanjaro Safaris, um, you know, Maharaja Jungle Trek, the Gorilla Falls are all top-notch zoo exhibits. But there are other exhibits in this country, for example, in San Diego, Bronx, some other, St. Louis, some other great zoos that are on par 
with Disney's Animal Kingdom exhibits. But what made the real difference was two things. One is the night houses that I was talking about. Disney focused a lot on those kinds of facilities for the keepers and the animals after exhibit. And also, Disney had the opportunity to create a storyline that was that to involve the guests. You know, we all know, you know, Warden Wilson entered enter Joe Rody into this. Uh, into right. This, uh, so this is where we get equation. to Joe Rody and his. Right. You know, he was very concerned about authenticity, and <laughs> one he went to various places. We've talked about how his trips in the past, but here are some of the trips he took to sort of get an authentic look on the on the exhibits he was going to be in charge of. In Ju- all the way back in June of 1990, so that's eight years before the park actually opened, he went to Kenya, Tanzania, and Zanzibar. In 1993, he went to Thailand and Nepal. 1994, Bali, India, Bhutan. 1995, he went to Mexico. 1996, he went to East Africa. And of course, all those times they would take sketches, you know, take pictures, bring back artifacts, and the like. So... Let's let let me pause and interject <coughs> yep, we're again. We're gonna go to another topic. So this so is a good time. so we talk about why is the animal kingdom so incredibly detailed? And Mike and I, um, you know, believe that it is more detailed, more story based. All of those things that Disney fans say they love about Disney, um, the animal kingdom has from the beginning, from the very start, has always been. The, the park that went above and beyond all of those things. Right. And this little story about what Joe Rody did and where he went and the miles he tagged on um, is sort of at the heart of that and why that all exists. And that kind of melds itself in with the animals um, and how we display the animals. The question I have for you, Mike, um, as a zoo person, you mm-hmm. discussed... Um, the storyline and the differences that the, the Disney, you know, how they're better at their exhibits in certain areas. Do you think that they them doing that sort of raised the bar for the rest of the zoos in the country? I mean, has, no. has that had an effect at all? Not really. I mean, no. I, Disney is the only one really, I think, as far as I know, in the country that... Well, let me back up. If you go to, let's say, the Bronx Zoo, which both you, you and I are very familiar with. Right. You go to their Congo rainforest. It's a fabulous exhibit. has oh, copies. It has white colobus monkeys. It ha- black and white colobus monkeys, excuse me. It has um, and it's beautiful gorillas. Exhibit. Sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like Gorilla Falls. But it does not present a story. It will tell you, you know, what's going on with gorilla conservation, why we have to save, you know, the you know, broadleaf plants, you know, all that kind of, and it has smaller animals that are endangered, all that kind of stuff. And it shows you as the visitor, the you know, what's going on in conservation. Right, right. But Disney takes it to a different level where they tell a story, whether it's the Maharajas and, you know, the reclamation of the nature of the old palace, or it's Gorilla Falls where you're, you're following, in, you know, the scientists through the forest and you get all these different types of things. So it connects people, I think, a little bit better to the animals with a storyline. And that's what Joe Rody right. was really geared towards. You know, being a zoo, and maybe this is why they call it not a zoo, but it's being a zoo, but taking it to the next level in terms of storylines. The exhibits are really, I mean, Kilimanjaro Safaris is one of the best exhibits in the country. There's no doubt about that. But when you go through the Maharaja and you go through Gorilla Falls, especially Gorilla Falls, I mean, there are exhibits that are on par for the guests in terms of you know welfare for the animals and the group space for the gorillas space for the okapis you know all that kind of stuff space for the tigers 
But Disney takes it to another level by telling a story. And, you know, that's where Joe Rody came in, as opposed to Rick P- right. Barangi or Paul Comstock, who I'll talk okay. about in a minute. So, and the other thing that kind of sticks out to me, just from that first um, section there, uh, is Disney spent years, I mean, literally years. Yeah, eight years at least. Eight years to create not only a zoo that told a fantastic story, but an incredibly well-equipped and... Um, you know, uh, just an amazing zoo filled with the best of things that you don't even see. And all of this ends with a commercial that says it is, in fact, not a zoo. <laughs> right. Well, again, I mean, that was so they made the greatest decision. zoo they ever could make. Um, and one of the best in the country as far as just being a zoo. Take away the rest of the stuff. They created one of the best zoos in the country. And then they decided to spend millions of dollars telling the country that it is, in fact, not a zoo. That tells you where some of the marketing was and some of the people running things at the top in the late 90s. <laughs> right. I mean, I, what I really think they probably should have done it was more than just a zoo is really probably yes. what they wanted to try to relay. But they did not. We were getting to it. By the time that commercial aired, we were getting towards the dark days of the Eisner era. It was almost the end at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His glory days were long behind him. But anyway, (laughs) continue. Where are we going now? So let's talk a little bit about Paul Comstock, the third kind of head guy at at Disney, at uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom. And he was the landscape designer. He collected seeds from 37 different states as well as 28 different countries. And what he had to do was not only design landscapes so the people would be, you know, taken to a different place, taken to Africa, taken to Asia, but he also had to be animal friendly. So he had to work closely with the animal teams and he had to be true, as I said, to East Africa and the jungles of Asia. But his decisions on, you know, what plants would be planted, would be planted in the exhibits and stuff had to be based on one, animal health, two, plant health, and three, actually the impact on the environment because Disney animal kingdom is actually in a recognized botanical garden so when transplant seeds it has to be governed by cites which is the congress of international trade of endangered species which not only covers animals but covers plants so there are different categories of plants under cites regulations one you know there's lots of regulations you know some of them you're not allowed to bring in usda gets involved in regulating transportation of seeds because obviously seeds are a little bit easier to get out of the zoo uh, uh, park you know if you have if you bring in let's say a wombat from australia there's very little chance the wombat is getting out of the exhibit and you know taking up residence in the florida swamps and growing being a population okay but with plants with seed dispersion you got obviously you can't regulate the birds coming in and taking seeds and showing them well you have to be a little bit more careful and of course um Dave, you did do this, but on the Caring for Giants, you get to see the backstage where they have these massive greenhouses and fields um, where they're growing all these things um, for the exhibits, as well as for actually the Epcot topiaries. And, you know, Paul Comstock was very careful to make sure the landscape also told the story. And we see that in not only Kilimanjaro safaris, but in Asia, you know, you have bamboo, you have all sorts of different um, plants that sort of tell the story 
get you involved in the location and the theme and the backstory. Is this something that other zoos do? Bring in plants from Not really. all over the world? No, um, they will. On a, I mean, I think some of the bigger ones might do it, but I, I'm unaware of... I don't think, like for example, the Bronx Zoo is an, an accredited botanical garden that has I've never heard species, that. Uh, you know, species from Africa and, and Asia and stuff in their thing. Um, I think they probably try to get species that are similar looking and, or you know, from here that kind of fit in the storyline. But again, and, and Disney as Animal Kingdom does that too. They don't necessarily not every plant you see on the Maharaja right, right, for right, example right. is from Asia. They'll get species that are you know local that. Sort of, or you know, related to it, or similar in appearance, that kind of thing. Understood. Okay. So you want to continue back to Barangi? Yeah. He, he was when you know we talked a little bit about him getting staff. Let's talk a little bit about getting animals. He had to actually get about a thousand animals into the park, um, most of which were in the savanna, um, and he made a list of what he wanted to have in the park. Um, unfortunately. Well, maybe not, unfortunately. But Joe Rody wanted even more animals. He wanted tons and tons of animals. But uh, Barangi had to tell him that, you know, that would basically create a dust bowl of the Kilimanjaro safaris. For example, Joe Rody wanted a whole herd of wildebeest to um, to occupy the Kilimanjaro safaris. But that was impossible. It would be, like I said, a dust bowl in the Kilimanjaro safari. So there was really dis- cool, though. It would be cool, but <laughs> it wouldn't last long. Now you can see where Joe's coming from, right? Right. If you actually get to witness the migrating herd of wildebeest, which is probably one of the ten most spectacular right. things on the planet, you'd want that. Right. Yeah. So I, I get it, but, but it's not practical. <laughs> Disney also, for example, Joe Rody wanted um, giant otters. Which are man-sized otters from the Amazon. Um, they are like five to six feet long. They're huge. They're only occupied. In a f- they're only in a few zoos. Um, but Disney was told that if they wanted them, because they were in such few zoos, they would have to be caught in the wild, which Disney declined to do for reasons that we talked about. And, you know, it's just not the right thing to do. Number one. Oh, so they wouldn't be able to acquire them. No, they from didn't other have zoos. enough in, okay. from other zoos. So very few zoos had them. So Disney said no, they're not going to do that, and they went to the small clawed otters that we see in um, you know the, around the Tree of Life. Other budget cuts. You know, they were they had to make you know cuts. For example, African wild dogs and hyenas were on the original plan for Kilimanjaro safaris, but Rick Barangi decided instead of cutting the budget on exhibits. He would just cut exhibits. So in other words, in other words, so if they were going to have a million dollar exhibit for elephants, they weren't going to reduce that to seven hundred thousand dollars spent on exhibits to get wild animals, uh, wild dogs, and hyenas. They decided they wanted okay. world class exhibits, as many of them that they can, but they weren't going to cut the budget on the exhibits they wanted. So they wanted the best exhibits. They wanted the best animal housing, in particular, in the in the country. In this era of Disney, Michael Eisner history budget becomes king we all know the story of how beastly <laughs> kingdom got cut because yeah. of budgets yeah i mean for those of you who don't remember michael eisner had a partner who was the what was his name frank wells yep um who was the financial guy and after frank wells died tragically i think in a like a helicopter yep. accident you got or right. something like that um uh, michael eisner sort of took over the head of the financial arm of, the, of Disney, and he really had no background or business doing that. 
I mean, you know, one of the one of the brilliance behind the original company is that Roy knew money, didn't know creative. Walt knew creative, didn't know money, and neither one of them really tried to do the other one's job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and but Michael Eisner, the, the really the if you go through the history of of Disney at the time, once once Frank Wells was gone, and Eisner took over the budgetary aspect of it, um, things kind of got weird. And uh, Animal Kingdom is definitely a a victim of that. The early Animal sure. Kingdom for sure. Anyway, go ahead. He's still a victim of it. We never got Beastly Kingdom. Over the way to get Avatar Land, but anyway, right. <laughs> um, let's talk about SSPs. We've we've mentioned it in the past on various shows, but let's talk a little bit about what that is. Um, each species survival plan, and that's what SSP is for, is, is is a program for a selected species. They work under the AZA, and they work under what's called a taxon advisory group, which manages multiple species. So a taxon advisory group might be big cats, and underneath that would be. You know, managing the population of lions, tigers, cheetahs in zoos across the country. There are nearly 500 SSP programs. And if DAC has an animal that's, if Animal Kingdom has an animal that's involved in the SSP program, they will participate in it. They don't always have to um, manage like reproduction and stuff. Sometimes they're just going to take um, all males, for example. Uh, but the SSP is designed to maximize diversity manage demographics and make sure not too many animals are in one zoo or in one exhibit and they want to ensure the long-term sustainability in zoos um for example the uh, there is an ssp what's called a stud book and a keeper is involved in a stud book for each animal this one the hippos river hippos for example I, uh, 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 never mind i was gonna make a stud book joke but i'm not gonna do it <laughs> so example the stud book keeper is actually in the riverbank zoo in south carolina but Tuma and Henry, who were um, river hippos in Animal Kingdom, they were chosen to breed, and now we have Augustus, the baby hippo. Um, same thing with the Grevy zebra birth. They were decided. It was determined that this would be a good for genetic diversity, for population in the in zoos, and for this particular exhibit, they could have births. And we've had a couple of of uh, Grevy zebra births recently. Um, the stud book keeper manages the stud book he makes sure that the biology and the species ecology is under control in the zoos they make sure that the status and distribution throughout the zoos is good they develop actually a bibliography and they monitor births and deaths disney actually controls several stud books so their keepers are involved in two species of giraffe that's laura bingham the mountain zebra which you see at the disney's animal kingdom lodge is managed by a keeper there tommy jordan and actually the rupel's griffin vulture which you'll see in um also the Animal Kingdom Lodge, sort of over where, where the Okapi are in the Kidani Village. They are also critically endangered, and they are managed by the keeper at the Disney's Animal Kingdom. Okapi are critically endangered? Is that what you said? No, no. The Ruppel's, Ruppel's Griffin Vulture, which are in the Okapi oh, exhibit. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So when you go by the pool, the Kidani Village, you see the Kidani, uh, the uh, Okapi over there. You'll see the right. vultures in, right, that, right, in right, that exhibit. Right, they're right. big, they're, but they are critically endangered. That's the, the, the back... Um not the main savanna, the one right. Over by the it's, pool. But it's off the yeah. side uh, by the pool. Yep. So we want to talk a little bit more about um, how the animals were acquired by Disney. Um, most animals were obtained from these breeding programs that I've talked about, and all the animals were in the park by the fall of 2017, a good at least six months before the the uh, Animal Kingdom opened. So Two, that the 1998. Mike. What did I say? 2017. Oh, I'm sorry. 
The all animals. It didn't were, open in 2000. We're in, we're in there by 1997. 97. Okay. The fall of 1997, all the animals were basically in the park, and um, the park opened obviously on April 22nd, 1998. So they were there for a good six months. There were a lot of big challenges. Dave, guess what the biggest challenges in acquiring animals were for Disney's Animal Kingdom? What were the biggest challenges? Yes. What, give me two animals. Oh, two animals that were the hardest to acquire. Yep. In 90, for 1998. Well, moving around elephants can't be easy. That's one. Yeah. that's 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 got to be a pain. Uh, I'm thinking of the challenges of acquiring. There's lions everywhere. Um, there were tigers everywhere, mm. zoo tigers everywhere. And, and back when Disney opened it, they just had basic Asian tigers that weren't even yeah. involved in breeding or an SSP. Komodo dragons hard to get? Nope. The no. other one is gorillas. Oh, of course. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what happened. Well, here. because the gorillas, you have to, you have to, yeah, that's. Yes, because that's a whole social thing involved in it. You can't just get one gorilla and stick them in a in a correct in a thing. Right. Correct. Go ahead. So with elephants, they actually that's one of the few animals they actually got from the wild. They took elephants from Africa to bring to Animal Kingdom. And before you jump up and down and say, How dare they? Um, they were actually set to be culled. So there were elephants. There are certain parks where their elephants are protected, but they get to be too populated. For the park themselves and the countries like i think south africa will do this will kill some of the animals to make sure the population and is perfect for that park mm -hmm. so they don't overfeed they don't destroy the park and it, it, like i said before it become a dust bowl so this was a little controversial but disney got a few elephants from um that particular situation then they flew them here and um brought them to the park instead of being culled from a south african park now, the gorillas issue was basically there were 20 different zoos that were already lined up to get female gorillas. I mean, everybody wants baby gorillas because they're very popular. So there were 20 zoos in line to get female gorillas to create a, a, a group. Okay. Barangi wanted two groups. He wanted the bachelor herd. They built the exhibit so they had the bachelor herd and they would have the family group. The elephant exhibit at the Animal Kingdom is massive. It the elephant one? Big. Or the gorilla exhibit. one? The, the elephant one. Yes, it is. But so is the gorilla one. And the gorilla one. one is as well. They're both kind of done, like Mike is saying, with two different exhibits. It looks like you're into one, you know, or you're seeing, especially in the elephant one, you don't really see where you're going. But in the gorilla one, that you, you, you feel like they can get from one end of the bridge to the other, but they really can. And you're looking at males on one side and family on the other. Go ahead. All right. So, the, so you had this list of 20 zoos that want a gorilla. So... Barangi had to sort of skip the line. So what he did was he used his contacts with the Lincoln Park Zoo, which is in Chicago, that had okay. a, lot of, a lot of gorillas, and he made a deal. He set up a conservation fund with them. You know, Disney would sponsor the conservation fund. Lincoln Park would be involved. So while not quite buying them, he did sort of buy them. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and other zoos were very unhappy about that. Um, but... He did what he had to do to get gorillas to the animal kingdom. Some of the other acquisitions, some of the other things, for example, are, you know, black rhinos, for example, critically endangered animal. Right. They have them at animal kingdom. But animal, right the the animal yeah. kingdom is not involved in breeding them. You won't see, at least currently, you won't see baby black rhinos. They're sort of taking sort of extras from other zoos to exhibit them here, but they're not involved in the breeding program. Same thing with the Nile crocodiles that you see at Kilimanjaro safaris. All of them are males. 
there are no females in that exhibit, and there's probably what fifteen, twenty of them. Yeah, there's a lot. Same is, thing. is there only ever one um, black rhino? I think they have more than one black rhino uh, in uh, in the park, but I think there's only one that will ever be on exhibit. On, at at time. time, I was going to say I don't remember ever seeing more than one. It's a right. big, big exhibit, but I don't remember ever seeing more than one. Well, rhinos are big too. So. The current director, Dave, of uh, animal King, animals at the Animal Kingdom is Scott Terrell, Doctor Scott Terrell, and he was recently asked. So, so b- before you go on, so sure. so basic. So what you're saying is, when it comes to the black rhinos, that kind of species, um, a zoo that is part of the survival plan will give birth to a male, mm-hmm. the and then not have space for that male in their exhibit. Or the male needs to get out of the exhibit right. because there's another male there or something. Right. And th- so they move them, and that's sure. what Disney has. Sure. So How many different black the- rhinos do you think the, 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 the animal kingdom would have gone through over the years? And that can't be many. No, not many. Okay. Um, but, but like I said, I mean, that's part of the SSP, part of being involved in that. There are certain right. animals you're not going to breed. You're just sort of just- taking the extras. So that other zoos can can breed them, and, and then maybe send them off to be bred somewhere sure, else. Sure, sure. So month. they could get a call from okay. the SSP that we need your black rhino. So back where you were, sorry, Scott Terrell, that. current director. He was asked uh, of the Animal Kingdom Zoo program. He was actually asked, "Will they ever bring pandas?" Guess what he said, Dave? He better have said yes. He said it's never happening. <laughs> ah, come on, Scott. First of all, why? Well, I'll give you the reasons he said. Number one, it's not part of. Obviously, they're not part of Africa. And they're not really involved in Southeast Asia. That's the storylines of those. Number two is there's a lot of baggage politically. You have to share your income with the China. It costs you two million a year. And if you know if they have a baby, you have to pay like another six hundred thousand dollars to China. And each panda costs about five hundred thousand dollars a year to keep. And also he said pandas are boring. They don't ever really move around. They're kind of just sort of live. They're out. not boring. <laughs> it's ridiculous. What's wrong with him? <laughs> Pandas are boring. You're boring, Scott. Another example of how Disney kind of helped the population of different animals. Um, the first giraffe they ever got was a, an animal called Zari. Um, the Portland Zoo had ran out of room for for uh, giraffes, so they were going to sell the giraffe to an animal dealer who would then, you know, ship it around. But Barangi got a call from <laughs> Portland Zoo, and he took her. So, um, you know, Disney often agrees with other zoos to borrow animals. Okay. If, you know, if, if there's an offspring, right, right, you know, they'll right. make a deal as to who gets what. Um, another example of, of this kind of thing is the flamingos. So Disney had a ton of flamingos on Discovery Island, Chilean and Caribbean flamingos. They traded all of them to another zoo to get 57 African flamingos, which you see not only in the Tree of Life, but also in the Animal Kingdom Lodge. Right. Jumbo, Jumbo House, House has them. Yep. It's the, one of the, the largest behind the pool. Yeah, it's one of the largest colonies of African flamingos in the country, and it's self-sustaining. Wow. I, I have a question. Sure, Just, we're almost done with my uh, notes here. Okay, so good, no, you finish, and I'll ask you. A question. All right, so a little bit more. Um, like as I said, animals started coming in a, at least a year before they were all there by the fall of two thousand. Oops, I almost said it again, nineteen ninety-seven. <laughs> but they were brought into their night quarters first, so they had to, you know, get adjust adjusted yeah. to their night quarters. And then they were trained, if they could be trained, to go on and off stage. Some already had that under control because they were at other zoos and they kind of mm-hmm, got the idea, mm-hmm, you know, I get fed mm-hmm. at night and blah, 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 blah. Um, Maybe but they, learn the signals right, from the old zoo or right. what have you. Yeah. And there were even actually a couple of deaths and births before the zoo actually even opened. Uh, Gloria, we were talking about black rhinos before. 
um, got bacterial pneumonia shortly after arriving at the animal kingdom, developed a, a reaction. Um, actually, she ate a stick that perforated her colon, and she died Oof. before the park ever opened. On the other side, um, Disney actually had a baby gorilla born before the park ever opened in 1997 and on exhibit, um, you know, several months before the park opened. Wow. A baby gorilla called Hope um, was born early on. I think that was the first birth at the actual Disney's Animal Kingdom. But that, Dave, is sort of the story of the Animal Kingdom early on. Uh, just a couple of questions come to my mind. Um, Already? One, for years on Kilimanjaro safaris, the giraffes were reticulated giraffes. We always hear right. about the reticulata, yada, yada, yada. But now they're Maasai giraffes. Correct. Why would they make a change like that? What what, what happened to the old reticulated giraffes? Why would they go to the Aren't Maasai giraffes? Aren't reticulated giraffe? giraffes now with the Animal Kingdom Lodge? Well, they were always there too, weren't they? Right. Or did they just move them from one place to the other? I guess they moved some of them over to the Animal Kingdom Lodge, but they decided to get um, Maasai giraffes. Which I believe are more endangered than reticulated. I have to look that up. I don't no, remember that, off the that, top of my head. That could be the answer to the question. Um, species survival plans. Mm-hmm. When you become part of one. So, before you before you finish, if you are accredited by the AZA, you are obligated to participate in all 500. So, if you have an animal in an SSP. So, for example, if you have a black rhino. Okay. You have to be involved in the SSP program. Now, again, you might be just sort of keeping the extras. I mean, you could, you know, make that arrangement. You're not going to be part of the breeding program, but you are part of the SSP in terms of moving animals around to ensure genetic diversity right. and ensure population. So, okay. So, that, but what's your question? That that kind of answers the okay. question. So, so in order to be part of the SSP, um, that that comes with the AZA accreditation, and if you, you are, have to have certain facilities and things to do that kind right, of stuff. Right. If you are going to be accredited by the AZA, you have to participate in the SSPs. Could at some point in time, the de- the the designation of what you do as the SSP in within the SSP change? Sure. For instance, could the SSP decide? Or whoever does this decide that we that the animal kingdom will in fact breed black rhinos. Well, they have to ensure that they have the facilities. So I'm not sure if black, uh, Disney has the facilities to handle. Okay, so that has to, that could of, change. Right. So the facilities are not all encompassing. there for what you're doing within the SSP. Right. 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 That's that was the that was the question that I had. Um, so all of this mm-hmm. has to cost a lot of money. <laughs> Oh, we mean like participating in the AZA and <laughs> shipping animals? Oh, stuff. sure. I mean, it's an incredible fortune. Sure. Um, are there good zoos that are not AZA accredited? Not that I'm aware of. So they all participate in this stuff. If it's a good zoo, yeah. I mean, these sort of roadside menageries. That's it. Okay. Are, are not accredited. And Disney never had the op- never never could have done that. I mean, that was not never an option for Disney. I mean, they, no, they, they had to participate, or yeah. else they would get they would get kickback, and they would be. First of all, they might not necessarily get the animals they wanted, right? Um, because they're governed by the SSPs and the AZA, so it would be difficult to get you know, Okapi, for example, without being an AZA um, accredited institution. But Disney could have done what you're basically what you're te- what it sounds like you're saying to me is Disney could have done a lot less and invested a lot less into the animal programs than they did. And still maintain those things. Maintain that, what things? The accreditation and that oh, kind of sure. stuff. They for went exa- above and beyond what, what they needed to do. For, for example, I believe Discovery Island was an AZA accredited institution. 
Okay. The, the little island in, in the middle of, um, you know, by right. the Magic Kingdom that had flamingos and tortoises and a couple of monkeys and things like that. Right. I'm almost positive they were AZA accredited. I always think before everyone liked the Animal Kingdom, which is what we were now, what we're at now, uh, there were many, many years when everyone didn't. And this was one of the things that we used to always argue about was <laughs> your park may have nice roller coasters, but it doesn't do this. And uh, and it's, this this is just another you know few more examples of of what Disney did. Now, the cynic will say that they did it because if they didn't go above and beyond, they would have had protesters at the door, and they probably would have. Mike, probably would have because they did in the beginning. And there were some issues, like I said, about the elephants being brought in. I mean, for some reason, some conservation groups say you should not put elephants in captivity, and they would have been better off being killed, essentially. I mean, Disney made the decision to take these these elephants that would have been culled, um, would have been killed, um, and brought them to the zoo. So, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of um, you know you think about even today. I'm, I'm trying to remember the story a couple of years ago. An elephant Disney placed into a yeah into an off exhibit kind of uh, facility. And that became huge pro- yeah, news. News in Orlando and even you know I right. think it was picked up in a couple of other papers. Too. And the thing that always I think as a, a fan of the Animal Kingdom and, and talking about these conservation issues and these zoo issues, I mean, you, 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 you know, you always worry about the blackfish effect. Right. I mean, it took one movie that used footage that was 40 years old. Yeah, it was from the 1970s, 1980s. Um, yeah. Before all of these things were really, you know, a hard and fast rule for a facility such as the Animal Kingdom. Um and what SeaWorld did, and I'm not making excuses for SeaWorld. Right. I, 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 I'm not, that's not the point of this. But what SeaWorld did was what they all did. What everybody did. Marine institutions, absolutely. Marine institutions to capture these animals. Um, they even did, zoos even captured animals back right. in the 70s. This is, all the, this is what they all did for probably 100 years. <laughs> Leading up to, you know, Russia, well before. First, first zoo was like 1880-something, right. Absolutely. I mean, the important thing about Blackfish, the, the, one of the things that I always say to people about Blackfish um, and SeaWorld and stuff is that SeaWorld doesn't do that stuff anymore. SeaWorld... Haven't for years. ...lives beyond, you know, works in much more humane systems and, and does all these, you know, equivalent to species survival plans, and they've been doing them. And it didn't take Blackfish for SeaWorld to do all that. Blackfish came many, many decades after SeaWorld had changed their practices and had done more humane things and, and you know, and and really did a lot of good in the world of conservation for marine biology oh, and that sure. kind of they stuff, too. Oh, sure. They rescue manatees, sea right. turtles all the time. And they didn't need Blackfish to do that. Disney didn't need protesters to do these things. They did it because that's how you operate this kind of facility, and that's sure. and that's what you need to do. Now, Disney recognized, as I said, the cynic would say Disney recognized that they were going to be under a microscope even heavier than SeaWorld would be, so they decided to cut this off at the pass. But that story about the elephant that I mentioned before is always a reminder that you you kind of you must feel like an inst- in an institution like this, you're one bad move away, right. <laughs> one poor decision that may even be out of control. Away from being blackfished, you know, and I mean, SeaWorld can't give away tickets now, you know. No, I know. And, and, At least in Florida. Yeah. And, and the, but, you know, so people always kind of mention that stuff to me and, and the Senate. The, the, the thing to keep in mind, though, is like I've said, 
SeaWorld did these things that they're paying for now long before, and Disney never did anything like that. And probably that decision to place that elephant was the worst decision they've ever made. Mm-hmm. Because that would t- remind us of what that was. They they put him on in this facility. They, they in mo- Florida that c- c- kind of handles like overstocked animals and stuff, and and the animal died from I don't remember what from. Yeah, but it was, and it, it wasn't the only animal that died there. Correct. They had so there was an issue with this facility, and Disney's yeah, paying the price for what sketchy. this yeah, for what this facility did. Um, you know, so it wasn't even them doing it that right. caused all this. Animals die. Absolutely. You never hear about it, but animals die. Yeah, zoos try to keep that under under uh, under wraps, which is, again, when you have pandas, I mean, they have names, everybody knows names, they're in the paper and stuff, and if one of them dies, you can't hide that. Hey, that's a great point, Mike. That's a great point, and I never I never thought of that. You're absolutely right about that. You know, so, so just to clarify, Disney gets seven giraffes. Sure. One of them dies. There's six. Nobody's counting the giraffes. As no, even by elephants or even gorillas, unless it was a baby gorilla that was. Even a solo exhibit, um, you know, a Komodo dragon, which I believe this happened. It did. Dies from old age, or it, maybe it yeah, gets it was sick, it was or older, whatever, it whatever it might be, from old age and dies. We close the facility for refurbishment. Three months later, there's a new Komodo dragon right. on display. No one knows the difference. Nobody knows the difference. Um, but Unless with, I mean, maybe with, we might, but the, the we, general you and I would right, know, right? Would, would know the but difference. with pandas, everybody, everyone know. knows the difference. Right. You're absolutely. It's the blackfish right problem. That. They're concerned about the blackfish problem. You're absolutely right about that. But I still think they should have them. But <laughs> you know what? That's shaken me a bit on that, Mike. It really has because I understand now the the risk that Disney runs with pandas that oh, maybe absolutely. you know. I could see why Disney, because uh, one of the things about pandas also is they, they're, if, correct me if I'm wrong, they're incredibly difficult to breed. Yes. But everybody wants to try. Sure. So the baby's probably not going to survive, or at least there stands a, it stands a very good chance yeah, it does. that it wouldn't survive. A much higher chance than a zebra. I right. guess I, I I suppose that's probably true. They're more difficult to to uh, for you know their survival rates are lower. There have been babies who died. Yes, and also they're very difficult to breed in general. Yes, not just give birth. That's one hundred percent true. They're difficult to breed, mm-hmm. and everyone reads about it, and everyone talks about it, and it right. becomes a thing. You know, and I could see now. Why the animal people may not want anything to do with yeah, that. I, I, don't. Could, I could see now why rides might be a little bit... Less risky. <laughs> if not incredibly more expensive. But uh, I see where you're going. Cool. That's a lot of information. A lot of great information. A um, couple things I want to mention before we go. That's it, right? You said? Yeah, that's it. Okay. So a couple things I want to mention before we go. Uh, iTunes reviews. Get on there, folks. Five-star reviews only. If you have <laughs> less than a five-star review. Keep it to yourself. Just keep it to yourself <laughs> or email it to me at jomboeveryone at gmail.com. Basically, what I'm saying is this. If you got an issue with the show, bring it up with us. Don't take it to iTunes. Did we get a bad iTunes review recently? No, but right. we've gotten quite a few people. I think we're still five-star rated. 
We are. We got a couple of bad ones. Got a couple of bad ones because we're not pixie dusters. Right. That's And that's never going to change. Um, so if you're a pixie duster, don't leave a review uh, unless you have a five-star review to live. Uh, for some reason, it helps people find the show. And uh, Mike and I have some... F- we're gonna. We have some plans in the works for some fundraising stuff uh, to help some conservation organizations. Yes, we do. This All is right. something we've done in the past, um, and we're gonna try to do it again. And we want to have as many ears on the show and as many eyes into our social media as we possibly can, so we can do as much fundraising as we can. This is stuff we're gonna do later in the year. So stay tuned for all of that. I'm not going to reveal any of that because I'm still working on a few things, but we do have some stuff coming. Um, you can find Mike on Twitter at Jombo Everyone. That's probably the best way to reach any of us because Mike is never off that. Even when he will be traveling the world over the next couple of weeks. I you did can, get an international plan. So you I can will. guarantee <laughs> that Mike will be responding to your tweets and direct messages. Uh, I am at uh, Radio Harambe. You can also find us on Instagram at Disney's Animal kingdom i literally have a decade and a half worth of photos that i've been one a day or maybe sometimes two a day placing on instagram um and some of them i really really like so if you're an instagrammer go over there and join us we're actually disney's animal kingdom you can find us there uh and i think i mentioned the email address already go to our website jomboeveryone.com for safari mike i'm dave mcbride quaharini go well and thank you for listening to radio harambe Kwa